Open banking is still catching on, even in its early adopter economies around the world. But the conversation is already widening to open finance and across sectors to a broader open data ecosystem. That's our topic today on NAB Digital Next, as we explore the journey so far and the lessons emerging both in Australia and in the UK. I'm Brad Carr of NAB's Digital Data and Analytics team, along with my colleague, Alicia Abaratne, and we're very pleased to welcome our guest, Claire Melling of NatWest, joining us today from Edinburgh. Claire leads the Bank of APIs at NatWest, one of the cooler titles you'll hear at a bank, and she's a leader in design and implementation of API-enabled services for data, identity, payments, and more. Claire is also a co-author of our recently published joint NAB and NatWest report on open banking and the consumer data right, in which we explore how these regimes are evolving and the lessons learned so far. Claire, thank you for joining us and welcome to NAB Digital Next. Thanks so much for having me. Claire, we, we have a great relationship across NAB, NatWest and NAB, uh, learning a lot from each other's experiences in innovation and with the linkage of Ross McEwen, your former CEO and now ours. We'll talk a bit more about our report in a moment but I'd like to start with NatWest's approach to open banking. And I guess with a regime like open banking, it's driven commonly by a regulatory mandate. There are some different approaches a bank could take, either viewing it primarily as a compliance project or perhaps seeing it more as an opportunity. And my sense is that NatWest has really leaned in to seeing the opportunities. And you've used open banking to launch new products like variable recurring payments beyond just balance sweeping as, as one example. I'm interested, firstly, whether you'd agree with that characterization, and I'd really love to hear more on how your team is using open banking to deliver value for customers. Yeah, thanks, Brad. I think you're, you're absolutely right. At NatWest, we've always seen open banking as being something far more than just a reg mandate. We've seen it as an opportunity to really API enable our organization. We've looked to go proactively, both in terms of the standards and ensuring what we deliver is the best it possibly can be and not just a minimum viable product. But we've also started to look to bring additional APIs to the market. These include things like where we can look to embed finance, some of the digital services for our corporate and business customers, and also payments innovation. You've hinted at variable recurring payments there as, um, as one of the examples. We think that's really important because we see it as a great opportunity to be able to partner with the likes of fintechs to bring really innovative propositions to our customers. But we also see it as an opportunity to have a suite of APIs that we can start to reuse internally both to automate some of our internal processes that are maybe slightly longer than we might want them to be, but also to bring internal propositions to market much more quickly. And I think that's a really good opportunity for banks. Um, open banking itself is a really great opportunity, but the real winners are our customers um, and actually being able to offer great financial services to our customers quickly and innovatively and um, can only be a good thing for them. It's a great mindset. And I think as we, we all increasingly stare into a consumer finance world that's rapidly changing and more cross-sectoral integration across our customers' walks of life, you really make the point there of what a foundational enabler this is going to be for us all. Um, I want to delve into that more with you as we as we keep discussing, Claire, but Alicia, I might just turn to you for a moment, and, and you were instrumental from our side at NAB in developing this report. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about how this initiative came together. Thanks, Brad. Absolutely. Uh, firstly, I'd say it's been terrific to be able to partner with our friends at NatWest in um, putting this report together. We were really fortunate to be able to tap into the deep knowledge on the UK experience um, with legislating and implementing open banking. So as part of this process, we've had the opportunity to speak to industry insiders who've had firsthand experience um, with the regime rollout, both in Australia and the UK. 
Alongside this, we also conducted extensive research um, across a variety of materials, including academic pieces, government reviews and industry papers. And when we set out in formulating the report, the areas we were most interested in exploring were the common policy foundations of the regimes, the differences in the approach to governance and the legal frameworks, and in particular, in terms of the breadth of the CDR um, and the depth of the UK open banking regime. We also looked at adoption, implementation and key use cases in both jurisdictions. And from all of this, we identified some lessons learned um, for both Australia and the UK, which we're excited to share. Claire, I think you know, part of that journey that Alicia describes there uh, is probably, you know, I think both countries are really at this juncture at the moment of staring into the expansion across other sectors. And the UK was the global pioneer for open banking, and many other countries have sought really to emulate the UK model very much to, to follow that lead and learn from those lessons. More recently, we've seen some views emerging that the UK could get left behind because the regime hasn't been broad enough with its singular focus on banking rather than applying to, to some of those other sectors in the economy. As Alicia says, this is a key theme that we've explored in the report. Really interested in how you see this today. And what are you seeing in terms of government and or industry initiatives to move beyond open banking in the UK towards open data? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Brad. The, the UK was the, the um, early adopter and the one who went out first. But I think we recognise that that position is at risk, um, particularly due to inertia. We've been debating now for a couple of years the future of our open banking implementation entity and where we go with the roadmap. And actually that, that debate really needs to draw to a conclusion so we can start to action some activity. But, um, but that said, we are deep in conversations regarding open finance um, and what we call smart data or, or open everything. Um, and the regulators have already started to craft some frameworks around digital identity um, and some other enablers. Some of the things that we're keen that, um, that form part of this are, you know, we, we want to look at areas like Australia and um, what you guys have done in terms of extending open banking to an economy um, base as opposed to just financial services, I think is something we really need to start to learn from. Whilst mandates were really great to get that early impetus around open banking, what we need to start to do is develop a more sustainable model. Um, now our market's becoming more mature. And whilst we've been really collaborative up until now, we need to continue to do that. But we also need to really prioritise high value use cases for our customers. Um, as you say, we've got really deep functionality in the UK, um, but some of that functionality actually isn't used. And so what we need to learn from from the next round is to really look at where are the high value use cases, things such as digital identity, um, how do we close the savings gap, expanding the use of things like VRP and then focus on those areas um, to move forward. Yeah, that's um, really great. And picking up on Brad's earlier question, um, whilst the UK's open banking regime didn't start out with a broad scope, it did possess a depth of functionality right from the outset due to its origins in PSD2 regulation. In Australia, we're at the very beginning of our journey with building action initiation into the CDR. And something we've alluded to in our report is the fact that deeper functionality is likely to be a key driver in this ultimate success of our CDR regime. From your experience, it'd be great to hear your perspectives on this, including whether having that depth of functionality and the ability for consumers in the UK to do more than share their data has had an impact on adoption of open banking and some of the use cases NatWest was able to deliver. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that depth of functionality has really, really helped to, let's say, turbocharge open banking in the UK. 
um, going beyond just data sharing, but also looking at that action initiation space as well. Um, and we're certainly in the last 12 to 18 months seeing a real uptick in payments usage. And that's driven primarily through three use cases, um, which make up about 50% of payments in the UK. Um, so those use cases are paying tax through Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. The second one is paying off a credit card bill. Um, and then the third one is topping up a secondary account elsewhere. And, and as I say, that drives the vast majority of open banking payments in the UK. What's really exciting, though, is that we are starting to see other use cases, um, such as housing associations, um, starting to use open banking payments to collect rent and also allowing tenants to pay through through apps. Um, so really exciting space. We touched on variable recurring payments, which is um, a competitor to standing orders. We see that as a really great functionality for our customers. It gives much more power in the hands of customers. They can set limits for merchants. And it also means that merchants don't have paperwork to deal with. So um, they can really focus on their customer journeys as opposed to the paperwork. So that's a use case that we really expect to help payments take off in the UK as well. Thanks, Claire. Those are really great insights. And I think something that um, the Australian community is definitely going to learn from in terms of that ability to um, make payments for not only government services, but across commercial um, activities as well. So thank you. Um, one thing we did touch on as part of our research and one theme we often heard was the role of the open banking implementation entity in the success of open banking in the UK. And I know that NatWest was part of the CMA9 and the UK government, as you alluded to earlier, has established this strategic working group to determine the future of um, the implementation entity. What can you share with us about the journey of the OBIE? What worked well and what do you think might need to change to set that entity up for success for the future? Yeah, I think one of the big lessons from the UK was the immense benefit of the strong industry and government collaboration regarding the open banking standards and how they were implemented. And um, just to put that into context, um, throughout the open banking journey, we've had industry working groups, which have consisted of banks, third parties, regulators and consumer advocates, all bringing experts to the table in order to establish both the security and the data standards. So whilst, as you can imagine, that can be quite challenging to take into account all of those perspectives and move at pace, it actually meant that the standards that were locked down were of a really high quality and ones that um, would really support our customers. And we already have some examples where the muscle memory of working together as an industry have helped us to look beyond the regulations. So we have um, an example of extended customer attributes, which is a stepping stone to digital ID um, and enables customers to share attributes such as verification of age um, with third parties without having to provide identity. So that's an example where we've looked beyond the mandate as a group in order to deliver something of really real customer value. And we'd really love to see that going forwards. So as we move into open finance and what we call smart data in the UK, we'll continue to try and use that collaborative approach, but expand it to not just the financial services industry, but hopefully the rest of the economy as well. And in terms of where else we'd want to see improvement, um, and I touched on this earlier, it's prioritising those really high customer value use cases. And as I said, we've got great depth in the UK, but it's not all used to the best of our ability. So actually starting to look at things like pension savings investments to create a holistic view of customer finances. And that's going to be a really good move for us. Alicia, there's there's a lot there. 
And maybe if, if we can just be selfish and Australian-centric just for a moment, if we try and take some of these key themes and learnings from our report and what we've heard from Claire and, and relate these back to close to home here in our market, what do you think are some of the key takeaways and some of the reflections on the next steps for us here at NAB? Thanks, Brad. Um, I think one thing that we've touched on as part of this conversation and in our report is the fact that both Open Banking and the CDR have each been really groundbreaking regimes and as a consequence, there hasn't really been a playbook <laughs> to follow and there hasn't been a roadmap. And much of the world is actually looking towards us in the UK and Australia. So from that perspective, I think it's important to acknowledge both the vision and the ambition um, of these regimes and the immense amount of work that has gone into building and implementing them to where they are today. So as part of our report, we, we do conclude that these regimes are heading in the right direction. And we've also included some recommendations where we think reform would assist in helping to ensure that these stay on track and meet their policy goals. I won't go into the detail of all of these and I'd take the opportunity to encourage listeners to read our report um, for the full analysis. But I think a few key takeaways, which we think are critically important for the strategic direction of these regimes, and Claire's alluded to it, one is the need to move beyond this sectoral vertical focus towards the concept of open data or open everything. Both in the UK and Australia, we've started with a framework of sectors, and I think sectoral designation makes sense from an implementation standpoint. But as we look to the future and the potential of these regimes, if consumers are able to consolidate their data from different service providers and across, um, you know, these various parts of the economy, they're really going to be able to gain deeper insights. And this is likely to be more transformative and provide more value for them. Another key takeaway, as Claire has alluded to, is the role of digital identity and its importance as a vital enabler for both the CDR and open banking and the digital economy more broadly, particularly as we in Australia move towards um, action initiation and our data regime sort of evolves and, and, and deepens. At NAB, I know firsthand there's a real excitement around the CDR um, and the potential of the regime, in particular how we can use the CDR to better serve our customers, whether that be providing greater convenience by helping customers save time or effort or by giving customers better insights into their finances. And as you said there, Alicia, the, the cross-sectoral element is just so crucial and I hope that we can provide more opportunities for our customers to port data from other sectors to us uh, and that we can provide a, a safe and secure home. Claire, to, to close, we've we've touched on how NetWest has really embraced the culture of APIs and how this started with open banking but you've built on it in a very strategic and forward-looking way. That forward-looking journey continues, of course. And as we look ahead, I think you've described a lot of exciting initiatives already. But can I ask you, what are you most excited about for the future of open banking and open data at NatWest? Yeah, I think it's um, you hit the nail on the head, Brad. It's a really exciting time to be in NatWest. And we've got a, a huge number of ideas in the pipeline. Um, as we've mentioned, you know, we're the first and thus far only UK bank to offer variable recurring payments to our customers. And I think that says a lot about NatWest's desire to help customers in an increasingly digital economy and also a willingness to experiment, which, um, as you guys will know, to be in an organisation that has that willingness is um, a really great place to be. Moving forward, we're very much focused on embedded finance. How can we start to bring products to current and new customers um, in digital channels that we don't own? 
Um, how, how can we enable our business and corporate customers to succeed um, in embedding those channels as well? So that's a really exciting space for us moving forwards. Digital ID, we've all brought up a number of times through this conversation, but we've got some early forms of digital ID that we're starting to pilot this year. So really excited to see how that goes and how they can support really great customer journeys. And then the last one that I'll call out that we're excited about at the moment is um, the transaction banking space. So we've spoken a lot about retail today, um, but actually corporates and businesses and allowing them to have direct access to their accounts and um, to enable things like real-time reconciliation, real-time payments and liquidity optimization um, is a really exciting space for us. So um, lots to do over the next 12, 18 months, but yeah, excited to see where it goes. Well, a lot that's happened already, but so much, much more to come. Claire and Alicia, thank you. This is, I think, a really pivotal topic in my view, and, and it's going to shape not only the future of consumer finance, but consumers' control of their data and their digital interactions more broadly. We're now, I think, really at a crucial inflection point, both for how the UK can maintain its initial leadership but also how Australia can get the most out of the consumer data rights cross-sectoral expansion. Claire, I, I really love the linkage that you made a couple of times to, digi to digital identity and to use cases like age verification and how this creates opportunities for NatWest and for NAB to really step forward and help provide what are really increasingly vital services into the economy. Also fascinating to hear about how the early payments use cases were in tax payments and in credit card bills and as Alicia noted, the breadth for enabling payments, both in the government and private sectors, I think is a, a really important takeaway. Also, Alicia alluded, and I do really want to stress that this conversation has just been a snapshot of our report, and you can download the full detail from us on both the NAB and the NAB NatWest websites. So Clara, I've got to say thank you for a couple of things. Thank you for NatWest's collaboration with NAB on this report, and thank you for taking the time with us here on NAB Digital Next. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been great collaborating with you. Look forward to doing more in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. And looking ahead on NAB Digital Next, we're going to look at the ethical use and protection of consumer data. We're going to expand on upskilling and education for the digital world, building on the, the prior episode with BCG's Sagar Goel. And we'll also check out what's coming soon in quantum computing. So please join us again soon. I'm Brad Carr. Thanks for listening on NAB Digital Next.